Welcome to Igris Moshe A to Z. I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, Rosh HaYeshiva and President of Yeshivat Chovei Torah Rabbinical School. We're in the middle of a series on the letter N for non-Jews, and we're looking at how Rav Moshe deals with interacting with the broader non-Jewish world. In last episode, we saw that when it came to the issue of school prayer, he did not want to get involved politically in those issues, but he wrote a long tshuva, which really explains why there's value for non-Jews to be praying, both that it might be a type of a mitzvah that they're not commanded in, but a type of a mitzvah based on the verse, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations, and also that particularly at a time of need, it's an expression of of belief in God and connection to God. So those, that was a very powerful tshuva about recognizing the power of mitzvot that a non-Jew can do. We're going to start with a tshuva that is actually draws that line, and we're actually going to look in this episode at three tshuvot that are, dr- trying, that are drawing clear lines between Jews and non-Jews. Um, so the topic here is, this is in Igris Moshe Yerdea 2.7, and the topic is, Binyan akum she'osi mitzvos she'ena mitzuvim, non-Jews who do mitzvot that they are not commanded. And this is dated 1961. Now this is exactly the topic we dealt with last time about a non-Jew praying, where Rav Moshe said that there is value in that prayer, that it's a type of a mitzvah, not an obligatory mitzvah, but a type of a mitzvah. But in this tshuva, he really distinguishes prayer and a few other things from all other mitzvot. And this is really a, was a theoretical question. It wasn't a practical question. In an earlier tshuva in the first volume of Yerdea, Rav Moshe said that there's a major difference between a minor doing a mitzvah and a non-Jew doing a mitzvah. A minor Jew is in the world of mitzvot, but is exempt at this age. And therefore, when he or she decides to do a mitzvah, there is mitzvah value to that act. Whereas a non-Jew is completely outside of the world of mitzvot, and there is no meaning to that act, no mitzvah value to that act. So in this tshuva, Rav Moshe is responding to a challenge that was raised based on certain evidence to the contrary. So this is really a theoretical question. It was not a practical question, but it's fascinating to see where Rav Moshe draws the line. And he actually says at the beginning that this is really theoretical, and therefore I've taken my time to respond to it. And he says, I really don't even have a spare minute to respond to this tshuva. Why? Because I have more urgent issues. I have people that are asking me, asking me practical questions, and it's obviously self-evident, and the Gemara even says explicitly that if you have to choose between a practical and a theoretical question, one that's not pressing, you answer the practical question first. So if Moshe says, I really wasn't even going to deal with this issue, but that you raised a lot of challenges on my position in this earlier tshuva, and you sort of couldn't understand at all how I could say this. Isn't it directly contradict things that are explicit? So because you had such a problem with my tshuva and thought that it made no sense, I have a responsibility to, to respond. I, I am required to respond. And I hope I'm able to clarify the issue. Now, it's not clear why, it's not clear why that means he's required, to, he feels compelled to respond. Is it to defend his own honor? Or is it because uh, for the Talmud Torah of this other person that he should understand the issue better? Rav Moshe doesn't exactly say that, but he ends that paragraph by saying, God should help us understand things properly. So it sounds like maybe I need to help you understand what's actually happening here. Anyway, that's the question. 
So the the questioner, um, who is who is Rav Yisrael Shitsapansky, um, not a person that's known to me, but anyway, the questioner asked um, that isn't it explicit in Rambam that that if a non-Jew, the Mishnah says that if a non-Jew takes truma, separates truma from grain, that the truma actually uh, is effective, that the grain is considered to be truma. And Rambam says that the reason is that when it comes to the world of truma or sanctifying things, that the language of the Rambam is even though they're not obligated, if they did something in the world of mitzvot, then there is some merit to what they have done. So, and therefore their act of sanctifying something has a real halachic import and effect. So this, uh, the questioner said, seems to me explicitly against you, says that there is mitzvah value to the mitzvot that are done by a non-Jew. So let's see what Rav Moshe responds. And he says the following. He says, that only is by certain specific mitzvot. Hine barur shakai rak al elu mitzvot to hektish vitztaka ukedome. That this only applies to things of this category, sanctifying objects, giving tzedakah, we find that Balak was rewarded for the sacrifices that he brought. Um, that's a parsha coming up around the time that we're recording. Um, and so that's similar to tzedakah. It's similar to sanctifying things. And in tzedakah, the Gemara says, Nebuchadnezzar was rewarded for his tzedakah. Um, or the Gemara says that when the, uh, when the children of Lot, the daughters of Lot, they said nice words, they were rewarded for the nice words they said, okay? And so Rav Moshe says that's a category where non-Jews can have mitzvot. Now, what is the common denominator of that category, that the mitzvahs that they do have reward? And I believe that the common denominator is that all of these are um, either good deeds, like from the moral sense, or they are meaningful religious acts um, outside of the question of commandment. Uh, somebody giving tzedakah is a good moral deed, also a good religious act. Somebody sanctifying something to God. Um, somebody that is uh, speaks nicely uh, to their to their neighbor. All of these are things that are intrinsically meaningful, either moral acts or religious acts. And that non-Jews do have a portion in. That connects to what Rav Moshe said about prayer, bringing sacrifices. All of these are acts of worship. All of these are connecting to God. That these are religiously meaningful for everyone. But we have to put on the other side of the line what I would call more ritual mitzvot, mitzvot that only make sense because they were commanded. And he says like this, he says, Aval bishmirat Shabbat, the Yom Tov, when it comes to observing Shabbos and Yom Tov, v'anachat filin v'tzitzit, or putting on tefillin or wearing tzitzis, v'sukkah v'lulav, v'shofar, all the mitzvahs of the Yomim Tovim, v'achilat kashrut, v'zihirat mishatnez, or eating kosher, not wearing shatnez, all of these things which are purely ritual and don't make any intrinsic sense as, religi- as, as religious acts or as moral acts were they not commanded, in all of these things, ein lehem shum sachar al they have no reward for this. They have no relevance to this world, to this area. They were not commanded. They were not part of the community that was commanded, unlike a non-Jew or a woman in certain mitzvot that she's exempt. They were totally excluded from the commandments of the mitzvot of the Torah, and therefore none of this has any relevance for them, even if they choose to do them. Even the less nuba Kabbalah Torah, they were not there at Har Sinai. They did not receive the Torah. The ain't a mitzvah slididhu klal, and it's no mitzvah value to them at all. 
So after Zavar Hazem Muchrach Bisvar, now Rav Moshe says, what's my evidence to this? He says, number one, it's just self-evident, right? Clearly, why should this thing, if you're not commanded in a lulav, then it's just waving a stick, right? If you're not commanded in sukkah, then you're just sitting in a hut. It only has meaning because of the commandedness. That's otherwise, it's an arbitrary, meaningless ritual. So you don't really need any evidence to this. He says, although it's just self-evident, Nira Muchrach came ni Raman Perkid Mimlachim. He says, it does seem that I can prove this from the Rambam in the Laws of Kings. Now, we're not going to th- go through the whole proof, but Rav Moshe starts from the fact that the Rambam says, the Gemara says that a non-Jew is not allowed to keep Shabbos, um, and that is chayav mital, like deserving of death if he keeps Shabbos. And there's a whole discussion why this is, why this is such a terrible thing. Rambam uses this to see this as a signal of something broader, that what it means is, is that a non-Jew is not allowed to create his own religion. Um, and Rambam says the following, the general rule is, this is quoting Rambam, we do not allow, assuming that they're under our authority, non-Jews to invent new religions, and to just do mitzvahs because it makes sense to them. Either convert, and then you'll be obligated in all the mitzvot, or stay in your category. Your category is a ben noach that's obligated in seven mitzvot, and do those. So this is Rambam's sort of novel approach, where he says, we have a system. The system is Jews do 613 mitzvot, non-Jews do 7 mitzvot. If you want to work within that system, wonderful. You want to pick one or the other. You're a non-Jew, great. But don't start trying to invent a new religion and say this is what God has commanded. That violates our whole way of structuring the world and our understanding of what God has commanded. Now, uh, not the greatest pluralist statement, but if you're uh, if you're imagining a world in which non-Jews are subject to Jews and it's very sort of, you know, not a pluralist democratic society, but very much religiously led, then we want, religiously led, then we want everybody to buy into our system and not to go ahead and invent other religions. This is Rambam's point. Now, how is this relevant to Rav Moshe's argument that there's no value if a non-Jew does a mitzvah? Because you can do a mitzvah without inventing another religion. I'm not, I'm going to wear tzitzis, I'm going to wear tefillin, I see the Jews do it, I love it, and so on. So Rav Moshe says, V'im kein yesh lemelef mizeh, that Rambam understood from this issue of a non-Jew adopting Shabbat as a regular Shabbos obligation, that that really was a signal of a much broader idea, that in order to, to invent a new religion, that you're doing the own mitzvot that you invent as a type, as understanding that this is your religious obligation, and now Rav Moshe throws in a few words which are like, uh, maybe a logical application, but they're shocking. He says, He says, like Arabs, that Muhammad, you know, in created new mitzvot, new obligations for them. He says, look, from a theological perspective, they believe in God. And they're good non-Jews. They do the seven mitzvot. But nevertheless, because they've adopted this religion of Islam, which is a new religion with new obligations, he says, in that case, they're deserving of death up in heaven because they invented this new religion. Now, 
What Rav Moshe writes is, of course, at one level, a reasonable application of Rambam. Rambam said that if you invent a new religion, that you're Chayv Misa. And Rav Moshe said, okay, that applies to Muslims. Um, on the other hand, it's quite shocking that he is now saying that a billion Muslims who have, an, who have a pure theological belief in God um, that is completely unproblematic from a Jewish perspective, um, unlike the issues around Christianity and the Trinity and so on, and that completely do the seven Noahide mitzvot, um, but they do other mitzvot because they believe that this is what their religion demands, that they are all deserving of heavenly death. Um, somebody who wanted to distinguish between Rambam and that case could say, look, maybe that's about the person who invented the religion. So, okay, you'll say something not nice about Muhammad, but maybe it's not about the people that follow the religion. There could be a way to recognize that a billion Muslims are actually not doing anything wrong. Um, but nevertheless, Rav Moshe isn't interested in that. And I think that the reason is, is that this tshuva and others that we will see are very intent in drawing clear lines between Jews and non-Jews. So even though uh, uh, Islam is not considered a vodizara, in this tshuva, Rav Moshe says, fine, but it's completely terrible that they've invented this new religion. They're deserving of death. We're going to draw this very clear line between Jews and non-Jews, even non-Jews like Muslims, where one can find perhaps a lot of areas of similarity. So that's one thing he does just in passing. So what does this Rambam have to do with the idea of whether a non-Jew has reward for a mitzvah that he does, if it's a mitzvah that's part of the Jewish religion, and if he's not inventing a new religion? He just says, I love this idea of tzitzis, I love this idea of sukkah, I want to do this too. Why shouldn't we think that he gets reward? So if Moshe says, look, if there, it was considered a mitzvah when done by a non-Jew, it would be hard to understand that why when a non-Jew does it from a sense of obligation, he would actually be doing such a terrible thing that Rambam describes, you know, creating a new religion. Now, the response could be that, wait a minute. There are two different ways to do a mitzvah um, as a sense of doing it regularly and as a sense of obligation. One could do it because one believes that they are commanded to do it, and that could be starting a new religion. Or one could do it because one believes that I'm not commanded to do it. Only the Jews are commanded to do it. But I want to do this, and I'm going to do it every day, and I believe in this, and it makes sense. So you're not inventing any new religion. You're just, uh, you're, you know, you're just doing a mitzvah that's part of the world of the Jews' mitzvot. And Rav Moshe says, no. It doesn't matter. So it seems like he's going to a lot of effort to try to tease out from Rambam, who speaks already this, you know, innovation of Rambam, that a new religion is itself a problem, even if somebody, even if a non-Jew does the seven mitzvahs b'nei Noach. And he's trying to tease out from that that there's no value to those mitzvot, because if there was value, it wouldn't be a big difference between doing those mitzvot and inventing a new religion. And the obvious lines of distinction seem very, very clear um, if one wanted to make a distinction between those two. And he's also drawing a line here and saying anything that's not intrinsically an ethical act, an intrinsic religion, act like davening and so on, although I said school prayer was a value and a mitzvah value for non-Jews, anything that is part of our distinctive rituals as a Jewish people is something that is completely off-limits to non-Jews, and it is something that has absolutely no value. Now, it is interesting that in the end, he deals with the Rambam in the laws of Mila, where the Rambam seems to suggest that even Brit Milah can be something that, if a non-Jew does it, there it's considered a mitzvah. And he says the following, Rambam, Mila, Shabal or A non-Jew is coming to have his uh, foreskin circumcised, and he says, he says, even though there's a mitzvah 
component that is uh, that is achieved through doing this act of giving him a brit milah. So this Ramam is mind-boggling because this Ramam makes it sound that if a non-Jew has a circumcision, there's an element of fulfilling a mitzvah for an, even for a non-Jew. Now, even those that would want to argue with Rav Moshe and say, you know, why not? If a non-Jew wants to wear tzitzis, wants to sit in a sukkah, wants to take lulav, um, that's also a way of connecting to God. It might be this particular ritual, you know, we, uh, is not intrinsically meaningful, um, and it might be that he wasn't commanded, but nevertheless, he's doing a ritual that connects him to God. Why should that be a problem? Why should we not be able to say that a non-Jew is considered a mitzvah? I think we could agree to that on many, many, many of the ritual mitzvot. Um, but would we say it by Mila? Because Mila, we identify Mila. There's different reason, there are different reasons given for, you know, what is the, you know, what is the function served, the religious function served by Mila. But first and foremost, it's Brit Mila. It's entering us into this unique covenant that we, the Jewish people, have together with God. So I think that I would imagine that every one of us, or almost every one of us, would draw the line and say, you want to go ahead and have a Pesach Seder? Maybe that's also about the Jewish story, but there's something there that you can connect to that's religiously meaningful, and that would be a mitzvah if you would do it, you not Mr. Non-Jew. But a Brit Milah, that you have no place doing that. That is specifically our relationship with God. And nevertheless, Rambam makes it sound like there is a mitzvah. Um, and not only that, Rambam was challenged about this in a tshuva, and he basically you know, doubles down and says, Yes, any mitzvah that a non-Jew does gets reward, like somebody who is not commanded and does the mitzvah. Like a woman who would get reward for taking a lulav, a non-Jew would get reward for taking a lulav, and that's true even by Brit Milah. So Rambam has the exact opposite position of Rav Moshe. Rav Moshe never quotes this tshuva, um, and Rambam is willing to say it even by Brit Milah. I think, as I said, many of us might be willing to say it by a lot of ritual mitzvot, but not by Brit Milah. Rav Moshe draws the line and puts all all the ritual meets right on the other side. The only thing that's of value for a non-Jew to do are things that are intrinsically religiously meaningful. And he finds ways to deal with this Rambam in Hilchot Mila to say it is not saying what it seems to be saying. So Rav Moshe here has drawn a very clear line. I was willing to acknowledge by, by prayer that that's a mitzvah for non-Jews not commanded but doing, it's intrinsically valuable, it's their faith in God, and other things like prayer, tzedakah, those things I will recognize. But let's draw a very clear line in the areas of ritual, Jews on one side, non-Jews on the other, and even when it comes to a faith like Islam, let's not make any comparisons, let's draw a very, very clear line. Now, we're going to look at two other two vote. Um, one is a very short one where he's dealing not with actually a live religion, but a dead one. And the question is as follows. This is in Yordea 253. Um, Somebody is a teacher in public school, and he's a teacher, and he teaches, you know, classical studies, Greek and Roman history. Can you teach about their religion and their belief in the gods and their myths and so on? And this is dated 1960 to Rabbi Yehuda Parnas. So he starts his tshuva by, re- by framing the question. So you have to give classes relating to their pagan worship. Is there a prohibition? 
prohibition here of not turning yourself, not learning things relating to other religions. So Rav Moshe has a discussion, which we're not going to get into, that speaks about even though this is a dead religion and we're not afraid that anybody will be misled by it and that you could say that the prohibition of do not turn yourself to, towards the foreign gods is only when you might be seduced by it, when you might sort of, you know, be enticed by it. Nevertheless, says Rav Moshe, that's not the way I understand it. This prohibition of foreign religions, it, learning about them is a blanket prohibition even when there's no concern and there's no threat. Okay, so what do you mean? Does, does that mean that this person has to stop teaching in the public school and lose his job? So if Moshe says the following, he says, look, I am very reluctant to tell people, you know, certain that they have to give up their parnasa. I understand, you know, how important it is for somebody to be able to have a job. And I'll just say parenthetically, Rav Moshe dealt with dealing in a generation where many Jews would, very from Jews, would feel that they would actually need to violate Shabbos because they had no choice in order to be able to put food on the table. Um, so Rav Moshe is very reluctant to rule in a way which would force somebody to give up their job. So how does he deal with this case? So he says the following. If you have to teach their religions, you have to make it very clear to your students that we are about to teach something which is complete idiocy and nonsense and no normal, rational person would ever believe in this thing. Look, they did this, this stupid thing and then they did this idiotic thing and anybody with a sense of, you know, any sense in their brain would never do something like this. And then he goes on that you're late sonus of Avodah Then you are mocking idolatry and you are not sort of you know while you're talking about it it's in the context of mocking and that makes it permissible um, so here you have a case where Rav Moshe even dealing with a dead religion and of course this could be because of how he understands the parameters of do not turn after the gods um, but it seems that it would have been easier easy to rule the other way since it's a dead religion wants there to be a very clear line nothing should be talked about without that strong sense that this is off limits, this isn't us, this isn't stuff that we believe in, and this is nonsense. And then he points out that there actually is some benefit that could come from being doing this. Not just you're addressing the prohibition, but you're actually benefiting the students. How? The Gam, he says, Rav Moshe says, you know, if, you're, if you say, look, this religion, it, at the time, it seemed like it was the only thing that made sense. Nobody could have imagined anything different. It was completely compelling. But, but now we realize that it's complete idiocy and nonsense. So if that's how you're talking about the Greek and Roman religions, people might say, oh, so there are other religions... That there are other things that people might believe make total sense, and they really are, you know, they really are idiocy and nonsense. And maybe that will give people perspective about, you know, why is it that so many people believe in these other religions? Um, you know, that's one of the challenges of once you enter into a pluralistic society and you're aware about people outside of you, you know, there's a lot of good people, there's a lot of intelligent people that believe in Christianity, that believe in Islam, that believe in Hinduism. So this, having this course and having this teacher tell you, yeah, there was an 
old religion that people thought made a lot of sense, but it was complete nonsense, might help you understand now, might help you get a perspective now on other people and other religions. Um, Rav Moshe was not concerned that you would turn that inward and think that way about your own Jewish practice. So Rav Moshe says, And one should not be led after things that most people will follow with closed eyes. They'll just follow because those are the norms of society. You should be aware that there's a lot of nonsense out there. And he says the following. Um... He says, think about it. You know, millions and millions of people would followed idols in the ancient time, and it was only the Jews that were able to realize the truth. They accepted the Torah, they observed it, and they were willing to martyr themselves. And everybody mocked them. You know, at the time then there was paganism, you idiots, you believe in one God that can't be seen, and they were seen as a laughingstock. Um, and they denigrated them. Now, you know, with the, certainly in the West, the Judeo-Christian religions, everybody realizes the Jews were right. There's a single God that can't be seen, that is a moral God that transcends nature. So you see that it's possible the whole world believes something and it's utter nonsense. And you should feel good as a Jew because we've known that for a couple of millennia and we know that we have the truth. Okay, and maybe somebody will sort of be able to draw the dots and make the connections. Okay, now, Rav Moshe recognizes that you don't want to draw, make those dots and draw those connections explicitly. Uh, that is not a good way to keep your job. And it's also not good in terms of our policy of dealing with the larger non-Jewish world. He says, So now Rav Moshe makes it explicit that what he was dealing with just a minute ago about some things are nonsense has to deal with other religions. And he says, look, it is not, we do not have the ability nowadays in the public schools to talk about other religions. That's part of the, you know, separation of church and, stri- and state, even if we're not going to talk in a, uh, you know, in a mocking um, way, in a, in, a, in a denigrating way. We, we're not really allowed to talk about it. And now Rav Moshe acknowledges what it means to be living in America as he's done before and have freedom of religion and not feel that we have to be um, under the influence of the stronger religion of the land. We, this, this country, you know, has been so good for the Jews. We pray for the well-being of this country, a theme that we've seen again and again in Rav Moshe, really valuing what it means to be in a democratic state that protects the rights, has freedom of religion. So you can't talk about derogatorily about other religions right now. Maybe you can't even talk about other religions right now, um, which is not true. Obviously, you can talk about, you can take classes in contemporary religion, but he says, that's not what you want to be talking about, but you can certainly talk about the nonsense religions of the past. Um, And this will bring some good to it, that it will bring actually, hopefully, for people to realize the nonsense of a lot of what attracts the larger society and maybe specifically of other religions as well. 
So here again, in a tshuva, it's clear that Rav Moshe sees that there is a, you know, as a minority religion in a larger society where the larger society defines the culture, the larger society has the default religion being Christianity, that you sometimes have to really draw some strong lines to protect, you know, Jewish faith and Jewish practice. So he does that by, in the previous tshuva, by saying, don't you non-Jew try to, you know, try to encroach on our territory, leave it to us. That's not for you. You keep on your side, we'll keep on our side. And here he says, don't we as the Jews, you know, sort of enter into their territory, even if their territory is ancient and dead and forgotten and it's, you know, Greek and Roman myths and paganism. And let's try to learn from that about how crazy everything is outside of Judaism and how off limits it is. So Rav Moshe very much working here to draw lines that will keep people um, within the faith and strong in their faith. We end with a tshuva that goes back to this issue of uh, non-Jews encroaching on our territory. Um, and not exactly in sort of the theological issues that we were talking about right now or the you know, ritual issues of doing mitzvot, but in terms of something that might seem completely a positive thing. And the question is the following. This is a tshuva in Yerdea Bet Kufyad Zion, and it is dated 1966. And his question is the following. Bedover banquet, you want to have a banquet, a dinner, and you're trying to raise money for your yeshiva? Can you honor a non-Jew who's given generously to the yeshiva? That's question number one. And number two, parlor meeting, regarding a parlor meeting, not a good Hebrew term for that. Um, can you have a non-Jew, non-Jew's home, have a parlor meeting for raising money for a yeshiva? So, you know, a normal approach would be non, besides great, I'll take, you know, I'm happy to take your money and to use it for a good purpose and to help the yeshiva. But a non-Jew wants to help the yeshiva. That's only a positive phenomenon. Rav Moshe says, well, maybe it is a, excuse me, Rav Moshe says, well, maybe it is a positive phenomenon, but uh, we shouldn't not do a parlor meeting in their home. Why not? So he says the following. parlor meeting It would seem it's forbidden. Why? It's forbidden to do have a like a drinking uh, party, you know, a meal where there's drinking going on in the house of non-Jews. Even if all the food is going to be kosher. He says, look, there's a prohibition of drinking beer in the house of non-Jews, and that is in the Gemara, although we should say that that was almost never observed, and the postkin found a million ways of saying that it's not applicable. But Rav Moshe says, at the core of this prohibition of drinking beer in their home, Rashi says it's because we don't want you to do have uh, parties in their home and, you know, and actually uh, have meals and do a lot of drinking and hang around, and then you'll come to intermarry. So from this, clearly it is a concern of too much building of social relationships and a concern of intermarriage with the rabbis had. But we have no basis of saying that there was a prohibition of having uh, food in the home of a non-Jew, even if there is with drink. Rav Moshe says that was what was behind the prohibition of drinking beer, and he creates this new, or identifies this new prohibition of having a banquet or a nice meal um, at the home of a non-Jew. Um, and he says, um, the following, now he doesn't say it's a technical prohibition, but he says it's a davar isur. There's a, there is something 
religiously wrong with this. Clearly, the rabbis would not want you doing this because that was what was behind the prohibition of beer. So you're doing something which is of related to being prohibited. It's not technically prohibited, but it's in that world. So since that's true, lo shaykh lahatiyah, we can't permit it. Af mitzvah, even if it's serving a mitzvah, it's raising funds for yeshiva. And then he says the following, that we do actually know that there's good basis in halacha to say that if you're invited to a party that a non-Jew is holding and you feel that you can't get out of it without hurting and offending the non-Jew, that you are allowed to attend. So how is this any different? Shav Moshe says the following, This is not similar to a case where the non-Jew is having his own party, it's an anniversary, you're a, you know, you're a colleague, and he invites a Jew to participate. That if the Jew can't come up with an excuse, you can go there and you can, you know, if the food is kosher, you can eat it, you can drink liquor, you can actually have a food, you know, a, a nice dinner with drinks and that's all fine. Rav Moshe says, why is this not, not the same? He says, that's because that's mishum eva. That's because you don't want to cultivate or prod the animosity of non-Jews. Aval ha-parlor meeting, But a parlor meeting, it's not not to hurt their feelings. It's not a situation you found yourself in and there's no good way to get out of it, so you're allowed to do it because of cordial relations. This is actually proactively trying to do this, Jew and non-Jew together, Jew and non-Jew together, and this is something that we cannot allow. Now, again, it would seem to me that what stands behind this, Tshuva um, Rav Moshe, is this issue, again, of encroaching, you know, encroaching in our area, that to actually have a parlor meeting hosted by a non-Jew is meaning that we are entering into their space and bringing our Torah, our religion, our yeshivot as something that is belongs, is present in their space that they are supporting. You want to come knock on our door and give a check and come into our space, bevakasha, I'll happily accept your check. But if for us to go into your space, we are crossing this boundary, and this is very dangerous. This brings Torah into the world of non-Jews, or saying it another way, it brings the world of non-Jews into the world of Torah by actually inhabiting their space. Now, how do I know that this is what is going on? Um, well, besides the fact that it's very hard to identify a real prohibition here, Rav Moshe makes a difference between whether it's your space or their space. And he goes on in the next paragraph to say the following. If you want to have a banquet for non-Jews in some type of a hall, some type of a neutral space, that you want to have a lot of guests and guests will give donations to the yeshiva. Okay. Since you're not in their home, you cannot say that this really is something that is forbidden. And then Rav Moshe says, it's true there is a problem of accepting money from non-Jews and tzedakah from non-Jews because it makes it like look like the Jews can't support their own. But if you really need to accept that money, it's permissible. And therefore, Rav Moshe says, He says, okay, it's not forbidden because it's in this neutral space, but nevertheless, it's an unseemly thing. Um, even though there's no prohibition, better to really put an extra effort to raise the money among Jews. So what we've seen here is, again, this issue of 
each, of each one keeping to their own space. Jews will stay in the Jewish space, non-Jews in the non-Jewish space. Let's watch that boundary. So we are not going to value ritual mitzvot that you do. That's taking something, you know, of ours, appropriating something of ours. Um, you know, that's on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, uh, we are, when talking about your religions and even ancient religions, we're going to clearly sort of bring a certain negative attitude, you know, not a nice, open-minded, pluralistic attitude to keep that off limits. And when it comes here to uh, support of yeshivot and financial support, we cannot go into your zone. We cannot go into your home. That is too much bringing these two together. That is too much anchoring our yeshivot in the non-Jewish world or alternatively bringing the non-Jewish world into the yeshivot. If it's more of a neutral type of a space, then it's not ideal, but we can make our peace with it. And I'll end just by saying that, that Rav Moshe ends on a more positive note towards non-Jews because in terms of recognizing what they have given and a sense of gratitude. And he says the following, Let's say you want to do a banquet in order to honor a non-Jew who has helped out the non-Jew, who has helped out the Jewish community, maybe a politician who has done a lot good for the Jews, um, and you want to actually honor them. It's not helping them raise money for the yeshiva. This is to show proper honoring. He says, Amash Asalahem, Mikvar, with something about the past, not about raising money for the future. The Lolimatras Hasivak Safim Litzdaka, Hudavar Hamutter Mamash. Ramosha says that is really mutter. And one gets a sense in his really mutter, he actually means appropriate to do. So we can recognize what non-Jews have done for us. We can recognize what a privilege it is and um, and what a you know blessing it is to be living in the United States, as Rav Moshe writes multiple times. Times. Uh, we can recognize when non-Jews do good for the Jews. We have an obligation um, to show recognition and show honor for that. But when it comes to our religious areas, we have to really be very careful of watching those boundaries. And even when it's not questions of actual, you know, uh, prohibited religious acts, um, learning, but it's about learning about religions. It's about even doing rituals, you know, being okay with non-Jews doing rituals that are Jewish rituals, or whether it's just about supporting Torah, we have to be very, very careful to protect those boundaries in order to in order to ensure the survival of a minority religion with a dominant culture and religion that is not theirs. And how do we keep you know, the Frum community uh, strong in its Torah and in its mitzvot and in its belief? And that comes by drawing these types of lines. And Rav Moshe, these are lines that have to be drawn. Thanks for listening to Igros Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dove Linzer, now celebrating over 10,000 listens. This podcast is brought to you by Yeshivat Chovavei Torah and is a project of the Lindenbaum Center for Halachic Studies. With close to 150 rabbis in the field, YCT is leading and inspiring Klal Israel with a Torah that is nuanced, compassionate, and contemporary. Check out yctorah.org to learn more. <laughs>